You know, I was thinking about this this morning and talking about it with our Sunday school class, our parenting class this morning. You know, um, we, we do pray and we try and figure out what the Lord wants to teach us and what book we should do next or what topic we should do next. And, and uh, in staff meeting, you know, a month and a half ago, we're like, hey, you know, uh, man, I'd really like to go through an Old Testament book. And as we kind of looked through and we thought, hey, you know, and I, I've never taught through Daniel. I thought, man, Daniel would be great. Let's do Daniel. And then the further we get into it, it's like the Lord God had his hand on that and said, you know what, for where our culture and the time that we're going to be in now, Daniel would be perfect for the people to study and to hear from. Isn't that true? I mean, you you think about the nation of Israel in exile. Um, God seems to be absent. Um, They're prisoners. It's like, Lord, are you even around? Do you not see what's going on here? You know, the kings are running amok. Babylon is just crazy, and, and they're trying to kill some of the best leaders and godly men in the country, and and time after time after time after time, we see God rise and we see God work, and I believe that that is happening and can happen in our nation even today. God is working. It may not look like it. We may think it's it's just crazy and we should fear for our lives, but ultimately the truth is, no way. Not, not with the living God working in our world. And, and we need to remember that he is. Because if you are on Facebook for very long or you watch the news for very long, it can get pretty discouraging. You know, you, of, of all places, Minnesota. I thought Minnesota was just all Swedes in peace. No way. You know, it, it's, it's, what do we do? What do we do? And I think we're going to see that today. There was a man walking along the street uh, and he saw a crowd of people running towards him, and he stopped one of the runners, and he asked, what's happening? And the runner replied breathlessly, a lion has escaped from the city zoo. Oh, no, the guy said, which way is he heading? And the guy said, well, we're not running after it. <laughs> There's a lion or two in our passage today. Turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. But... Daniel chapter 6 isn't about how to survive a lion, right? It's not about the lions. And even though the book is titled the book of Daniel, we know that, the, that, that it's not about Daniel, right? Who is the book of Daniel about? It's about God. It's about a sovereign God, the creator of all things, who does what he wants and our place in that. God is at work in a pagan nation. He is saving and using exiled people to save pagan kings and pagan people. And sometimes it feels like the United States of America is a pagan nation. And God is still working. And God is still saving. And God wants to use you and me in the lives of the people around us to bring the message of hope. To bring the message that God is working in and around us. Now, um, you know, if you haven't and you're not familiar with the book of Daniel, um, D- Daniel, some young men are, are carried away into exile in the, into Babylon. And then a few years later, um, King Nebuchadnezzar goes back into Jerusalem, destroys the wall, destroys the temple, carries all the rest of them back to Babylon, and, and this, the story begins there in chapter 1. Um, now... Uh, Of course, King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. Daniel, uh, under the inspiration of God, not only interprets the dream, but actually tells Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was. 
And because of this, Nebuchadnezzar raises him to an important place in in the politics of Babylon. And then Nebuchadnezzar gets selfish and, and, and Daniel brings him yet another message. And, and then, um, he creates this big statue that everybody's supposed to worship. And, and of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't. And they get thrown in a furnace. And there's not only three guys in there, there's four guys in there because there's a savior in there. And, and it, and it's a, a, a vision, or it shows us how God is how God saves in miraculous ways. And then uh, Daniel brings Nebuchadnezzar a warning because he's gone off on his own again, and he's just like this selfish, uh, incredibly you know powerful. He stands out uh, and and looks at at his world and says, "Look what I have done! Um, aren't I amazing?" And and God uses Daniel to bring Nebuchadnezzar a message that essentially says, um, "No." Uh, this wasn't your creation. This was given to you by the Almighty God. He goes mad for seven years, finally surrenders his life to God. God restores him back to be king. And then uh, over a span, he dies. Belshazzar becomes king. The writing on the wall from last week, he didn't do right by what he knew about God. Uh, Again, becomes selfish, uh, defiles the things of the temple that they carried back with them. And God says, it's over for you. Belshazzar's gone. And now we have Darius, who is a Mede and is now. Um, we've now moved to the second level, according to many interpreters, of the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had. The head is gone. Babylon, the nation of Babylon is gone. And now we've ushered in a new culture and control. Kind of feels in our culture today like there are lots of hungry lions running around chasing after us, doesn't it? It doesn't matter what age you are. And we know that that sin, that evil, that the devil is doing just that. He's wandering around looking for those in which he could kill and destroy. And we need to take that into account as we begin reading. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Isn't it amazing how these kings, these pagan kings, continue to pick Daniel to be a leader, to be, to be in authority over Men of their own nation, the satraps, it says, were made accountable to these three men so that the king might not suffer loss. These are well-trusted men in control of 40 satraps each, I'm guessing. Now, if you look at verse 3, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This is nothing short of miraculous and amazing, is it not? And at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. He was a faithful follower of God in a foreign nation. 
And I think one thing that we can gain from this just short passage so far is that God's children are given exceptional qualities. As, a, as God's child, uh, we see in Scripture where we are given spiritual gifts. We each are given at least one. We receive them at salvation. We are given these exceptional qualities. God's children are given exceptional qualities. Gifts, abilities, talents. Are there not, is there not talent on this stage every Sunday morning? I mean, I, Laura, I love to hear you play the violin. That's a violin, right? Not a fiddle or one of those other named things. I can't tell them apart. Um, but I, I know the first Sunday you got up here, you were all nervous and all of that. I, man, I would be too. Uh, but I just, I, it's, it's almost like returning to the old days when we had a violin on the stage. And I, I just appreciate you being willing to share your gift uh, with us, your talent with us. Um, I know there are others here sitting who have gifts and talents who could be a part of, of this or a part of something else. Later on, we're going to be commissioning 10, 10 people who have gone through the training, the Stevens Ministry training, um, invested hours and hours and hours Uh, And I'm going to talk about that a little bit. But we are all given a gift. And God doesn't intend for us to sit on our gift and to not do anything with it. It's like stuffing cash in a mattress. It it just sits there. It doesn't grow. And some would say, well, if you put it in the bank, it's not going to grow much these days either. However, it is a little. And you have to invest it. And, and we are given a gift, and we need to invest it. And we need to recognize that, that those, and, and many times they do become exceptional qualities. Uh, they become lights in a dark place. And we talked about this in the Transformed series, where when, when we seek to do just a little bit more as a Christ follower for others and serve them, that, that, that we rise to the top, that, that we are seen as exceptional. And that is powerful in the lives of people. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 40 through 42, said this, If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Take the extra step. You know, that whole thing right there, um, if you're asked to go one mile, go two. It was a thing with the Romans. They would just grab people off the side of the road and say, hey, carry my pack for me. And Jesus is saying, hey, you as a Jew, if, any, if a Roman soldier grabs you and says, hey, carry my pack, and you were required to carry it a mile, Jesus is saying, don't just go one. Carry it for two. Go the extra Go the extra mile. Uh, it's amazing how a lot of the cliches we use today come from Scripture, isn't it? Go the extra mile. And as a Christ follower, it isn't simply to our benefit to go the extra mile. In fact, oftentimes, it costs us, doesn't it? Time, money, energy. It's, it's to the benefit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that we hope that people hear and see and believe. And experience the same kind of peace that we do. Because as we live and worship and serve and work and give, the Holy Spirit strengthens us and gives us the energy to be that to the world. These kings just kept noticing Daniel. He was a prisoner in this country. 
allowed to be put there, or maybe even put there by God. And Daniel said, I'm not turning my back on the Creator. No, I believe that he is still as much God today as he was when I was in Jerusalem and things were comfortable. No matter how difficult we've seen in Daniel's life, he has stayed true to the word of God. He has stayed true to the commands of God. And we can all be that. We can all be that. We can all be men and women of integrity who are seeking to be faithful to what God has called us to and seeking to find out what that might be next. Every day we can be this in our speech, in our work, in our actions, in our families. Men and women of integrity. Men and women faithful no matter what. Men and women serving others, loving others, praying with and for others. And as we do this, there are some who aren't going to like what we're doing. They're going to think that our good behavior and our attempts to love people is somehow to show them up or make ourselves seem better than them. That's not the point. Three times a day, it says. Whoop, jumped ahead. Sorry, wrong page. And, and when these satraps try to find things wrong with Daniel, they can't do it. They can't do it. They fail. And when people, when we're, we're uh, living as men and women of te- integrity and people want to trip us up, Lord, I pray they won't find anything. They may have to make something up, and they just might do that. They just might make something up, and, and we need to recognize that there are evil forces at work in our world today. In fact, when God's people do things God's way, they will face opposition. Guaranteed. Jesus said it himself. You will face trouble. So verse 5, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. Let's just boost him up. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed, which is a lie, that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered. In accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed, so King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, this sort of thing, honestly, is happening all over the world right now. Believers, Christians, are, putting, are being put into a place of, am I going to live or am I going to continue to believe and serve God and Jesus Christ? Um, they, they can face death for talking about Jesus. They can face death for, for telling people about Jesus. Um, they can face death for surrendering their life to Jesus. I was reading the news yesterday. 
I want to read you something. It's an update to a, an article that was written in Christianity Today previously. Uh, Russia has a new law. It, it, uh, this was updated on July 8th, a couple days ago. This week, Russian President Vladimir Putin approved a package of anti-terrorism laws that usher in tighter restrictions on missionary activity and evangelism. Despite prayers and protests from religious leaders and human rights advocates, the Kremlin announced Putin's approval yesterday. The amendments, including laws against sharing faith in homes, online, or anywhere but recognized church buildings, go into effect July 20th. Though opponents to the new measures hope to eventually appeal in court or elect legislators to amend them, they have begun to prepare their communities for life under the new rules. Protestants and religious minorities small enough to gather in homes fear they will be most affected. Last month, and I quote, the local police officer came to a home where a group of Pentecostals meet each Sunday. Constantine Bendis, deputy bishop of the Pentecostal Union, told Forum 18. With a contented expression, he told the people in the home, now they're adopting the law, I'll drive you all out of here. I reckon we should now fear such zealous enforcement, they say. There are potentially very wide sweeping ramifications to this law, Joel Griffith said. It just depends on, again, how it is going to be enforced And that is a very huge question mark. Can you imagine? What would you do if that happened in our country? If your government said that you can only talk about Jesus Christ and share the gospel in sanctioned, state-sanctioned church organizations, that you could no longer have Bible study in your homes, you could no longer invite people over to Bible study in your homes, you could no longer talk to them in public about Jesus Christ. What would you do? I think I know what Daniel would do. I think he would have people over to his house and he would have a Bible study. I think he would share Jesus Christ with people in the public square. He would do exactly what he's always been doing up to this point. No matter the consequence, and there will be consequences for the people in Russia if this, in fact, is enforced. So what should they do? Should they throw up their hands and give up? Should they give up meeting together? The Bible is against that. What should they do? What should Daniel do? What did he do? Verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So we continue in prayer no matter what. That's what Daniel did and that's what we should do. Continue in prayer. Now, Daniel didn't hide, yet his actions weren't flamboyant either. He didn't do this because he wanted to stick it in the face of the king. He did this because this is what he always did. Can you imagine yourself being exiled in a nation where you weren't allowed to do any of the stuff that, that, that were your traditions? You know, in the country of the United States, as Swedes, we still do some of those things. At least my family does that Swedes do, despite my liking them some of them. Ludfisk, for instance. But, but imagine 
Uh, why, why do we do that? Why do we look back at our history and talk about our heritage and talk about our relatives that came over from this country? It's so that we don't take for granted where we're at and to be reminded. And I think that's what Daniel did. It says that he opened his windows toward Jerusalem. I think in Babylon, God didn't prescribe this for him. God didn't say, hey, Daniel, you need to pray three times a day and you need to face Jerusalem. No, Daniel did this so that he could remember So he had a focal point to be reminded that he is a child of God and that he is from Jerusalem and of the chosen people. That God is still working. And he did that despite what the government said. We should pray. Where did Daniel's safety in this country come from? Where did his significance come from? It came from God. Where does your safety come from in this country? Where does your significance come from in this country? It comes from our creator. We sang a song that says that said something about it's it's God's breath that's in our lungs. You know that's 100% true. It it goes back to the book of Genesis where Adam and Eve were created. And what did he do when he formed Adam? He breathed breath into his nostrils. We do have the very breath of God. That's what makes us unique from all other animals. It doesn't say that he breathed breath into the animals. He created them and they were. You are special in creation. We need to continue to pray no matter what. So, these men then went as a group and found Daniel praying. If it went our, in our culture today, they would have their telephones with lenses and they would be snapping pictures and they would be showing the video and the pictures to the king. They went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den. And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. He's being set up. Then they said to the king, Daniel, that man, that man that you have picked to put over everybody, One of the exiles from Judah pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Daniel, again, was not doing this to stick it to the king. It's what he did in his faithfulness to his creator and to his God. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God you know that you know what that word every means in Greek it means every everything everything who's going to be president the safety of our police officers the safety of our citizens everything He says, do not be anxious about it, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what were the results of Daniel's faithfulness? He got fed to the lions. The king could not change it. 
He didn't, he liked Daniel. He didn't want this to happen. But in a, in a moment of selfishness, he made the decree. It says that he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, the, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. You know, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10, 11, and 12 say this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of heaven, of evil in the heavenly realms. And it hasn't changed to today. It was that way when Daniel was walking the earth. It was that way when Jesus was walking the earth. And it's that way today. It's not flesh and blood we're fighting against. It's not each other. Though it often manifests itself that way. Our struggle is against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world. Spiritual forces. And of course, we know that passage goes on to talk about putting on the full armor of God. Well, Daniel had on the full armor of God going into this situation. He was praying. His family and his friends and his fellow believers were praying for him. And I think he probably had the same attitude as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Darius, you need to know That my faith is not based on what the consequences might be. And my prayer is for a miraculous saving from these animals. But if they didn't, it wouldn't change a thing. My God is still the one God. So in verse 17, it says, A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And he waited for the reply. And he hears Daniel say, may the king live forever. I mean, Daniel's worshiping at this point too. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. As far as life goes, king, I have served you faithfully. But Daniel, I think, and in this situation, King Darius is reminded that he's not the God King of all things, that what he has too has been given to him by God. You know, in our current culture today, in the craziness that's going on, what are we to do? 
what are we to do? We are to pray. We are to pray. And we need to remember, and we need to repeat it every day if we have to. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he is for us. He is for you. As his children, he is working on your behalf. As his children, he is shaping and molding you into the person that he wants you to be. The king, a pagan king, was hoping that Daniel's God was not only real, but that he would actually save Daniel, and he did. It says the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And then what does the king do? I think in order possibly to prove that these weren't drugged lions... It says at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Nope, they weren't inept lions that didn't know how to eat. They were lions whose mouths had been shut by God. The one true God has all of the power, who is sovereign over all. Now, just a side note here. Seems kind of unfair to the wives and the children, doesn't it? That's harsh. But one thing that we need to remember, and we often convince ourselves of this, that my sin, my personal sin, doesn't hurt anybody else. We need to remember that it does. It very much does. And it certainly did in this case. So justice was served. And it wasn't served by Daniel. It wasn't even requested by Daniel. Daniel didn't say, hey king, these guys, they manipulated you. They did this. I think you should do this. Daniel didn't do that. The king did this all on his own. And then, what did the king do? He wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all of the earth. This is amazing to me. May you prosper greatly, he says. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. I mean, again, a pagan king. A pagan king proclaiming the truth about God. I would be shocked if the President of the United States made a statement like this. But we need to know as we're sitting here that if God willed it, it would be. For whatever reason, God hasn't moved in that way. 
But we need to, as there were times in the, in the nation of Israel when they're in exile here, that we just need to hold on and we need to pray and remain faithful in the things of God. I bet there were people that were really, really, really angry that he made this decree. But he had seen the power of the living God, just as many of us in this room have in our own lives. And then verse 28, it's like a broken record, right? Um, Daniel's exiled and he's brought to this terrible place and then, he's, then, he, then he sticks to his faith and he's, he eats only vegetables and the stuff that, that God commanded them to eat and he gets really strong and then he's placed in, in this place of leadership in politics and, and, then, and then it's like he's roughed up by the king and, and then he, he's, he's given like a power over a third of the kingdom and then he's roughed up by another king and, or he's put on a shelf and, and, then, and then when Belshazzar goes all crazy for long enough and God says you're done. Daniel comes back into the scene again, you know, decades later and says, okay, here's what's going to happen. And, and, and the, the king at that time says, well, I'm going to give you all of this stuff. And Daniel says, no, no, you don't really need to do that. And he does anyway. And, and, then, and then we have a new king and, and he's thought highly of, but yet he's put in a place where his life is in danger. He sticks to his faith. And, and what happens? So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I mean, our life is kind of that way, isn't it? Doesn't it feel like you're on a roller coaster a lot of times? It's, it, it's like there's this really difficult thing and then, and, then, and then your faith has grown and you grow out of that and then life's really good and then it's like, I don't know, maybe we get content or we get apathetic or we just think, then we sort of be, maybe think that it's us doing this and then, and then the fire gets heat it up again and we struggle a little bit and then it's no different for Daniel. And what did Daniel do in the midst of all of that? He was like a rock. At least we're not told otherwise. King Darius, King Darius bears witness to the reality of God to all of the nations. A pagan king moved and changed by the visible power of God. It can happen to that friend that you have. It can happen to that parent that you have who doesn't believe in the name of Jesus Christ. It can happen to that son or daughter who has seemed to just completely rebel against what you've tried to teach them through the years. But how do we get there? We pray. We pray. We recognize the importance of prayer. And we, as we do that, are a witness in a pagan land. Faithfulness in a foreign land. Now, in response to the shooting in Dallas, our president of Converge Worldwide wrote a response, and I really felt like it was worthy to, for us to hear what he had to say. And it, it really does pertain to what we've just talked about. This is by Scott Rideout, and he says this, At times like this, we all need to be reminded that Scripture is clear on how Christians should respond to crisis. The New Testament was written in a time of great adversity. Government officials were corrupt. Laws were unfair. Christians were persecuted. When when society was broken. Yet in the midst of this, the Apostle Paul gives these instructions. 
in Romans 12, 17 to 19 and verse 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul reminded the believers of his time that disappointment in present circumstances is not a license for unrighteousness action. Human government is fallible, society is fallen, and life is not fair. Therefore, we should be careful not to put all our hope in government getting it right. Not that we shouldn't work toward improvement, nor are we to take matters into our own hands. We are to work to resolve the differences with patience, righteousness, and faith. Yet, regardless of whether or not the issues are ever fully resolved, revenge is not an option. We are challenged to put our hope in God and to point people to Jesus Christ. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul reminds us, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Prayer. It is time for Christians to pray. It is time for Christians to go to the only one who has the power to intervene, demolish strongholds, and cause real change. We should pray for our leaders and our officials to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. For God to comfort the families who lost loved ones, for the protection of all and for anything else God puts on our hearts that is in line with Scripture. There has never been a time when the church was more necessary in our country. Pray that God, with his divine power, will use the church to transform our communities, our laws, and our country. However, understand this. Real change in our community and country must begin with each of us allowing God to work on our own hearts. We must pray for God to change us first. That's a hard one. You know, it's so much easier to share our thoughts on Facebook about a certain situation or about a certain opinion, about politics or gun rights or whatever you want to put in there, but we need to stop short of that and, and ask God to change our hearts. God, align my heart with you in the midst of this that's going on. Christians, in this very difficult moment, your people don't need to hear my opinion or yours on social media. They need to hear from God. Call a prayer meeting. Point to God. Speak from Scripture. 
Give hope in Jesus. Beg for God's intervention. Engage your community. Live righteously. Show compassion. Model the gospel. Show the difference that Christ makes. And don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Honestly, I think that's chapter 6 in a nutshell, just right there. Let's be faithful. Because when we are, and we're celebrating our 85th birthday, and our kids and our grandkids are sitting around talking about us, what are they going to say? Well, they'll they'll say truthful things like, he wasn't very smart when he tried to start that tractor from the starter and got run over. My uncle did that. They'll say things like there were lessons that were really hard. They'll say things like, you know, he wasn't perfect. But I believe they will also say things like, we saw God in our dad, in his faithfulness, to teach us and to lead us and to pray for us and to walk the road of life with us and to forgive us. Oh, I pray, my children, at my... 85th birthday party. Whatever, for whatever, longevity seems to be in my family. So, you know, part of me is like, man, it'd be really nice to, you know, get hit by a truck tomorrow and be in heaven. I mean, have you ever thought that? You know, I mean, just, God, just end it already. I want to be with you. But, But Paul says, as much as I want that to be true, I know that God still has a purpose and a reason for me here today for some reason, because we're obviously all still here. And he does. Let's leave a legacy as Daniel did. Not one of ourselves, but one of our creator and our savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in the book of Acts, chapter 6, 1 through 6, we're given a glimpse into the history of the early church. And there was some grumbling that was going on. There, were, there was um, needs that weren't being met. It says that the Hellenistic Jews were complaining against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. It just wasn't getting done. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and they said, What should we do? It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables and make sure these needs are being taken care of. Brothers and sisters, this is what we want you to do. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. It goes on to say this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a, con- a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. They commissioned them to do this work. And you know, Scripture says that as a pastor, one of my jobs is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. See, it's not just my job to minister to you. It's our job's to minister to one another. And that's one of the things that I think is beautiful about this Stevens ministry program is that it's people being willing to step up and say, you know what, I'm going to do the work, I'm going to go through the training and make myself available to help other people, to minister to other people as a layperson. And, uh, and we're going to commission those 10 people here this morning. 
Uh, I don't, I don't, uh, Betsy and Carissa and Tom probably have a better idea, but um, they easily put in 50 hours of classroom time in the last four months. And, and countless additional hours of work on homework and prayer. And, and honestly, uh, some of the stories I heard of being broken personally and being ministered to in the midst of this class. And, and, and I say that as a sort of an advertisement for the next training that's going to come, right, I believe it's right after Christmas. Is that correct? Right after Christmas. Which will be here before you know it, right? As a church member, I want to thank you all for putting in the time to get a little more training, not to be perfect or professional, but to know some stuff. And in some ways, more than me in certain situations. And then to make yourselves available. And and as your pastor, I want to say that, that I am, if I may, I'm proud of you. Because it was a long haul. It truly was. Uh, if I could have those who are being commissioned, who participated in the Stevens ministry training, come and stand on the stage. And the worship team, you guys can come up here as well. That would be great.